Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? This is AC with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. And guys, it's that time now. I've waited long enough. I've been waiting for the Sixers to drop in the standings. I don't have to hear it from Oswe. They keep staying on top of the East. I have to do it. It's time for a Sixers pod. Trust the process. <laughs> and to, to to do that Sixers pod, we got, of course, unfortunately, we have Oswe. Howdy how? We have Garrett, a Sixers fan expert. <laughs> I wouldn't say expert, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have the return of Moss, who you might remember from our Lakers episode, who is one of the biggest Joel Embiid fans that I know. Hey there. And we got Eric to join me on the anti-Sixers campaign right now. Oh, well, it's going to be a long episode, boys. Uh, well, yeah, I'm anti-Sixers, but I like Embiid. So, yeah, I guess I'm with AC here. Hello, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, I actually root for the Sixers when it's not the Knicks because, frankly... These guys deserve it. They have a loyal fan base. Um, I've seen the struggles of Oswe through the process years, and I actually <laughs> live in Philly these days, so I have really no excuse not to at least slightly root for them. But uh, just hearing him just beam about this team has gotten a little <laughs> bit over the top for me. Live with it. So in other words, you're saying that you soak in his misery <laughs> and you're not getting it this year. I mean, he soaks in my misery as a Knicks fan all the time. So. Guilty. Fair enough. <laughs> So, Garrett, you are our guest specifically to talk about the Sixers. Yeah, and absolutely. I had the benefit. Yeah, and I had the benefit of joining you and Oswe at a Sixers <laughs> game live one time. I think it was against uh, the the Cavs when LeBron was his last year yep. there. Do you remember that game? I do. I do. The, the Sixers were up 95 to 58 at halftime. And then <laughs> the Cavs came back and the game ended like 148 to 144. Sixers win. LeBron had like 45, 15, 15. Ben Simmons had a triple double. LeBron had a couple of classic yeah. missed free throws as well. He had as a well. couple of posters on uh, what's his name from the Spurs that we had for the end of that year. It was a it was a best basketball game I've ever watched, worth every single penny, absolutely. And uh, it was the long culmination of being a longtime Sixers fan. When they were 10 and 72, take a guess how many games I went to that season. Go ahead. <laughs> 30? 20. I went to 15 games. Guess how many of those games they won? One? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yikes. In 2015, 2016, <laughs> I went to 15 home games and they did not win a single game. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. Uh, it, it's great to watch them now, and it was great to you know to go see them, especially uh, when the king was there. So, so you know that that's a great place to start, I guess, because we could talk about the process. Now, the process was the one time when, as a Knicks fan, I could look around the league, and there was another team that I could laugh at besides my own team. So, you know, it was it was it was kind of bittersweet because I felt bad for us, we and the Sixers fans who were going through it, but at the same time. I did have, you know, the advantage of being able to kind of look down upon another team, even though in retrospect, you guys clearly did the did it the right way until 
the NBA stepped in and, and foisted Colangelo on top of you guys. Uh, whereas we were trying to compete, and by compete, I mean consistently missing the playoffs, but not with a good enough seed to actually do anything. So the process did work for you in the sense that it netted you Joel Embiid, netted you Ben Simmons. But what was it like to go through that? Well, I'll put it this way. We were trying so hard not to win that if you were a player and you showed an ounce of effort to win a ball game, you got traded. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Ish Smith had two game winners in four games and was like bringing games within five points for like two weeks straight, got traded. (laughs) (laughs) KJ McDaniels, a spark off the bench, you know, guy who just wanted to compete and win, got traded. You know, it was uh, it was bad. You know, it's funny because you talk about the Knicks and, and the difference between us and you guys was that we had a plan when we were losing. You guys were just incompetent. Facts. Michael, I can't argue that, man. I can't argue yeah. that. The, the, but the process was it was so brutal because I know for me, I was there just about every pivotal moment of the process. I was there at the draft the night that we traded away Drew Holiday and essentially ushered in the process era. I was there at games watching Joel Embiid just on the sideline doing nothing for two years. I was there with Garrett. Actually, Garrett and EC, you were there too. When Ben Simmons was drafted, we went to that draft when we got the number one pick and drafted Ben. And then he hurt his foot in the Stockton basketball gyms. Yeah, you guys had a lot of that happen to you, where you drafted a player that everyone was hyped for. First, it was Joel Embiid, right? Then he, you know, he gets gets hurt. That like really before he could really play even a game. Then happened with Ben Simmons. Happened with Markel Fultz. It, it seemed like you guys were cursed there for a while. Like the basketball gods were piling on you all for for tanking so explicitly and blatantly. It's karma. No, I'll tell you what was karma was on May twelfth, twenty nineteen, when Kawhi Leonard hit that miracle role in game seven that was the karma after that it's been all gravy so we're even now we're working championship on the way so (laughs) fair (laughs) enough so if we're going to talk about championships for your team it's going to run through Joel Embiid and now before we start praising Joel Embiid I do want to take a moment to pile on my co-host here Oswe oh fuck you who spent the better part of most of our first episodes, you can, and you guys can check the tape, piling on Joel Embiid, who has now single-handedly carried his team to relevance. Wait, Oswe was hating on Joel Embiid early on? <laughs> <laughs> like, for, for what reason? For him not All giving right. enough motivation, not giving the effort. <laughs> he was just hating. All right, oh, okay, okay. Gar- Garrett can back me up on this. People are saying that Sixers fans owe Joel Embiid an apology. I say this is Joel Embiid's apology tour to us. Let's not forget that we had to wait two years for this fucker to get on the court. And the second year that it was announced that he was going to be out for the season with a knee injury, that very night, he was seen dancing on stage at, what was a Meek Mill concert? Yeah. So... That's the kind of shit we had to deal with. Then he comes into the league and he has all this promise. But what happens? He's out of shape. He's sick. He's injured. He never got his shit together. And we always saw that he had this amazing potential. It's why when he was drafted, 
I had chills down my back because I thought, oh my God, this could be the player of the future. But until this year, he never realized that. And instead, he had the entire city and the fans by the balls because, well, do we trade him? Is, is Ben the guy? Is Embiid the guy? So level with us here. Imagine if your star was that level of reliability. Well, I, I wouldn't go that far into him. I think he showed up in much better shape this year, which was nice, especially last year. I feel like he had a down year. It was a learning process with Tobias there for, you know, a little bit. But uh, I feel like last year the effort wasn't there, and maybe it was because of coaching, but it seemed like he had a f- fresh restart this year. I don't think it was owing anybody anything. I, was, I think it was just him finally feeling healthy, for, you know, fully healthy for the first time in a long time. Maybe it's because he became a dad. Could be. So I have a question for Oswe and, and Garrett. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a legit question with Sixers fans whether you all should trade Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, right? Oh, I still want them to trade Ben Simmons. Oh, no, I mean, <laughs> no, when I ask. Oh, no, there's no, there's no competition. No, uh-uh, no, not even a little bit, not even remote. Like, <laughs> I was going to think that the Sixers fan base is absolutely out of their minds, but okay. Good. <laughs> Eric, here's here's what I've noticed, and Garrett, correct me if I'm wrong. Sixers fans were more endeared to Embiid, and for him to win a championship would mean a lot more than, say, if Ben was the one who, who brought it. If, if we traded Embiid and Ben was the guy to lead us to a championship, because Ben doesn't have that kind of personality. However, there was a point where you saw the, the potential of Simmons and you saw how injury-prone Embiid was, or is. And so the question is, do we roll the dice with a guy who can't shoot for shit, but but who has a longer window of availability, most likely, because he doesn't really get injured that often? Or do we go with a guy who's so uber-talented, but has a much smaller window because, well, is he ever going to be in shape? Is he ever going to be healthy? So that's the extent of the question. It's It's a matter of really Joel Embiid's availability. But in terms of talent, there's no question. In terms of how the fans viewed them, it's no question Joel Embiid's the guy that, you know, Sixers fans wanted. And one guy can shoot outside of 10 feet. (laughs) One guy can shoot, period. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So, Garrett, I want to jump on your point that you made about just Joel Embiid showing up in better shape. You know, the advanced stats actually back this up a little bit. He's actually in the 98th percentile of the entire NBA in terms of loose ball recovery rate. And he's in the 96th percentile in terms of contested offensive rebound percentage. Those are two stats that show that this guy is making those second half plays that we just didn't see from him last year. Yeah, absolutely. Not to get, this wasn't too advanced, but I was looking up just, you know, in my free time, Joel has some great numbers this year, and I was trying to find a center that's averaged 30 points, 10 rebounds, and over 40% from three in a season. And so I couldn't find anything, but I was curious to see Dirk Nowitzki's best season. Dirk Nowitzki's best season, Joel's shooting higher from three. He's averaging more rebounds. He's averaging more points. Shaq's best season in Orlando, which was statistically his best years, he was averaging the same amount of points, same amount of rebounds, but shooting 60% from the free throw line and didn't attempt a three-pointer. So what we're seeing from him this year has not been done at the NBA center position. It's just, it's unlike anything else anyone's ever seen. So, 
So then, do you guys think that he should be the front runner for MVP right now? MVP'd. MVP'd. I, I think as long as he can stay on the court and stay with the team, he's definitely a, a, a candidate. For some reason, I have a feeling that they might give LeBron a last one as a token for all the ones they hadn't given him <laughs> in years past. But that, that's just my personal opinion. I don't think the MVP ever really goes necessarily to the most deserving player. So, Yeah, I think he should be the MVP. At least uh, so far this season, he's been absolutely dominant on both ends of the court. He always had that back-to-the-basket game, but now he's showing off a uh, face-up game with his mid-range. It's absolutely unstoppable. He's just drilling mid-range shots, and not to mention his defense is absolutely top-notch. And if it wasn't for Ben Simmons, he he might be uh, in talks for Defensive Player of the Year. And he's just put the team on their back. But the only thing now is that the recent bone bruise injury, how is that going to affect his case? Because losing a lot of time, it might be too weak. But in this shortened season, that's going to be a lot of time. So that that could really hurt his case. If it goes to either Embiid or LeBron, I'll be happy. I mean, he's already missed eight games, though. And with the addition of the bone bruise, I read somewhere today that it's, it's projected to be like 17 games. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Like when he's on the court, it's no question. He's far and away the best player because of his offensive and defensive impact. But I, I think voters historically have punished guys who aren't able to play something like 80% of their team's games. Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem for him. I mean, at this point, he probably is the clear front runner of, of, for MVP. But I think I've heard buzzes about either Kyrie or Harden uh, taking over him if the Nets are able to surpass the Sixers record, which quite honestly, I'm afraid will actually happen because without Embiid, can we beat some of these more talented teams? I'm not so sure. You know, barring that, and if if games missed ultimately doesn't matter because of the unprecedented nature, let's not forget Joel Embiid is averaging near 40-50-90. I think the only reason he's not at the the 40-50-90 mark is because he's off by like 4% for his free throws. Yeah, he's shooting and like 87. Yeah. So so like for a big man, and, and Garrett, you, you captured it perfectly. Like what we're seeing from Embiid has never been done. So if if he's able to come back and still play well, or rather at the level that he has been playing up until his injury, I still think he has it, but the record might be the thing that dictates it much more than the games missed. I mean, statistically, it's an open and shut case for a guy who's led, led a team to the best record in the Eastern Conference right now. He's been absolutely dominant in the post, which we already knew that he was capable of, but he's gone to another level this season. I have some stats for you guys, courtesy of our friends over at B-Ball Index. He's in the 92nd percentile in terms of post-up foul draw rate. He's, he's a master of drawing fouls. And I know also we have talked about this many times in the past. I feel like he's leaned into that a little bit too much. But in general, he's in the 99th percentile in the entire NBA in terms of post-up impact per 75 possessions. But it's not just an offensive thing with him. He's also brought it defensively night in and night out. He's in the 93rd percentile in steals per 75 possessions. 
the 93rd percentile in defensive rebound percentage, 95th percentile in rim contests, and 84th percentile in defensive field goal percentage versus expected field goal percentage at the rim. So he's protecting the rim, he's protecting the perimeter. And then you go into like the cumulative stats that just show his overall impact. You want to use whatever measure you want. Raptor, box plus minus, any advanced stat, he's absolutely dominant in. And he's been fantastic. And the one thing that I think that doesn't even show up in these statistics so much that is different about his game and, and bodes well for the playoffs is he has become an incredibly dominant face-up player. He's the kind of guy now who has the ability to get to his spot and rise up and make a jumper, much like Dirk Nowitzki, who I know Garrett mentioned before. He's kind of added that to his game. It, it used to feel like with, with Joel, when, when he didn't have this back-to-the-basket it felt like he was kind of either searching for a foul or or he would just launch a terrible three. Now he has his ability to get to this deadly mid-range shot that he could hit. He's actually even hit a couple of contested three-pointers to win some games. So I don't even know how you guard him aside from triple-teaming him. Although that, of course, is his one weakness, which is passing out of double-teams and triple-teams, but we can get to that later. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith famously would always say, Joel Embiid, get your big butt in the post. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> At least in past years, it was it was definitely a fair criticism of him. Now he's dominant in the post. He's dominant, you know, at the elbows. He's even become a credible threat from the three-point line. So I don't even know really how you guard this guy aside from just swarming him. I mean, it's one of the reasons why he gets so many fouls. It's like the only way you can stop him is to foul him. He's He's just that dominant. Right, a little bit like the old Shaq effect, right, where you just had to foul him to stop from scoring. And the difference here is that, you know, you're lamenting the fact that he wasn't a 90% mm -hmm. free throw shooter. I mean, an 87% free throw shooter is ridiculous for a big man. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So why don't we then move on, guys, to his partner in crime, who we, we touched upon briefly, the highly controversial, at least amongst... The casual NBA fan should say Ben Simmons. Oh, Benny boy. What have you guys seen from him this year? I have seen no markable improvement that has <laughs> given me any promise or hope that he will get to a Hall of Fame level in his career like we hoped he would. When this kid was coming out of college, he was kind of sold as, you know, a LeBron James-esque passer and player. But I think it's more clear that He's more just a, a 6'10 point guard that can't really shoot and still effective, but not a dominant player in the NBA. And I think that's going to continue to follow him around until he makes a change. He's playing out of position, though. What do you mean? It's pretty obvious that uh, he's playing out of position and he's playing with another big and on, on the perfect team for his skill set. He would probably be playing the big on a, a team that had a lot of minutes playing small ball. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying he's as good as Joel Embiid. It's very obvious he's not, but I, I think some of his flaws that we readily notice, we notice them because he's playing out of his most optimum position. So Eric, you're saying basically he'd be best used kind of like Giannis is used for Milwaukee where he's his big man who has spacing around him and he's just allowed to drive and then if you if you don't help he, he finishes with his overwhelming athleticism and if you help he passes that's never going to be his role on the Sixers no it's never going to be his role in the Sixers but as a a slasher and passer so he's not as quite as good of a slasher as Giannis but he's a better passer than Giannis so if you were to put him in that type of template 
you're optimizing his abilities. Playing next to Embiid, you're not optimizing his abilities. It's one of the reasons his best games, the games where you randomly see him have 38 and something like 13, 14 assists, is usually when Joel Embiid is off the floor. Right. I mean, you guys remember that lineup. I, I know you Sixers fan remember this, the international lineup, whatever the hell you guys yep. call it, United Nations lineup. <laughs> UN. You had with uh, Simmons and a bunch of shooters. That was one of the Sixers' most effective lineups a couple seasons ago. It just all goes to show that Ben Simmons has been another disappointment for me because for years, he was my favorite Sixer. And I mean, he still is because I just love... I love how he plays. Like the, I love his passing. I love the court vision he has. I love the effort. He always plays 100%. That defensive, that, that dog, I love that. But the problem is, the dude does not shoot. And when he's asked about shooting, he, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to work on all of my game. It's like, um, the rest of your game is fine, dude. You got to freaking shoot. I don't understand how you are on the team with J.J. Redick for a number of years, and you don't pick up a damn thing from him? Not even, like, a 10-foot shot? Nothing? <laughs> well, I, I can't believe I'm being put in this position because I, I expected to come here and be the one to hate on Ben Simmons and the Sixers, but the Sixers fans are taking all the shots at him right hey, now. Hey, you said it. You said it. We are Sixers <laughs> fans, okay? Yeah. We are not Fair Ben enough. Simmons fans. We are Sixers fans first before we are Ben Simmons fans. And let's not forget Sixers fans are famous for booing the the, the players on the court, so... You know, I mean, y'all, y'all boo, y'all boo Santa. So, everyone's <laughs> favorite game after that. I, I think Eric said it perfect. If if he was on a different team in a different system, he would shine a lot more, and he'd maybe be more effective. But that's not our team. You know, we are the Sixers, right. and we need a point guard who can do the things that he's not doing. So, that's the only position I'm coming from. I will add though that one way that. The Sixers could use him. Now, it's not ideal to have him moving forward, right, if we're trying to legitimately compete for a championship. But one way you can kind of use him is off the ball, he is very effective at at setting screens, especially rub screens, because he's so big and strong. The problem is if he's rolling to the hoop and Embiid's there, they, they get in the way of each other. But there is a way it can make it work. I'm just not convinced that Glenn Rivers is the right coach to make Ben work in the system. But even still, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle reg- regardless of who the coach is. Oswee, how do you call my man by his government name? Um, well, <laughs> there's only one doc in Philadelphia, and that's Dr. J. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, okay, okay. Respect, like respect. That. Mark Zumoff, the Sixers commentator, when you watch Sixers games, always refers to him as Glenn. There's a number of Philly sports media folks who refer to him as Glenn also. And even Doc himself says it's fine to just call him Glenn because, I mean, the name Doc comes from when he was, I think he was a like a rookie or he was in college and he was wearing a Dr. J shirt. And someone said, oh, Doc. And that's how the Doc Rivers name came. So his name, it comes from Dr. J. So let's just call him Glenn because that's, that's who he is. He's not Doc. And can we just wrap up Ben Simmons one more minute before we jump to Doc? This whole, yeah. oh, I want to be defensive player of the year. I'm such, in, you know, I'm intense on defense, blah, blah, blah. It's a cover-up. It's all a cover-up because he's too afraid to shoot the ball. If He, he, he thinks <laughs> if he gets defensive player of the year that everybody will forget about the 
parts of his game that he lacks improvement on. <laughs> so, so it's not just him playing great defense. This is a, a <laughs> this is a, a this, is, ruse. this is an elaborate ruse by Ben Simmons and his and his and his team. I'm telling you, <laughs> I see right through it. I respect the intensity of the hat take. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back on that take a little bit because I think I think his defense is frankly incredible. It's you can great. make a, a legitimate case that he is the most versatile defender in the NBA. In fact, statistically, he's in the 99th percentile in terms of matchup difficulty and also defensive position versatility. So that means he's switching from point guards to centers, and he's also guarding the best opponent regardless of position. He is an incredible guy at recovering loose balls and at uh, at, at just picking the pockets out of whoever he's, he's guarding. He's 96th percentile in pass passing lane defense, 98th percentile in steal rate, 97th percentile in deflection rate. So basically, you can't pass it to him, and if you pa- if you if you catch the ball and he's guarding you, he's gonna he's gonna rip it right from you. So he's elite on that end, and I I do agree with you guys that his limitations as a player hold the Sixers back. I, I think you guys should have, should have definitely used him to, to get James Harden, and if you could, I would. If I were you in your oh, shoes, I, I would know. use him to to get someone like Bradley Beal. But short of that, I do think that there is a world in which a player like him can work on a championship team. It's just that he can't be someone that you expect to consistently create for you in any way, shape, or form. You know, I, I but I do think his versatility on the right team. I mean, if you guys could somehow acquire another point guard, maybe a Kyle Lowry. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about trades down the line. Mm-hmm. There's a world in which the things we'll that he there. brings to the table could be useful. You know what I mean? I had five trade names written down. You said two of them. So when we get there, we'll discuss them. <laughs> nice. Okay. So let's actually then discuss the supporting cast that Daryl Morey has put around Joel and Ben. So we briefly mentioned that he didn't go after Harden. But what about the guys he did get? I mean, he stole two guys from the Lakers, you know, which both Moss and Eric could, could weigh in on, in, in both Danny Green and Dwight Howard, who I do think the Lakers miss, although I, I understand why they kind of part with both of them. There are things that both those guys brought to the team that are missing from this year's Lakers team. And there's a bunch of other guys. I mean, Tobias Harris is you know one of the best third options in the NBA, regardless of what you think about him. And then there's a, you know, a host of other people from Seth Curry, Thibel, Maxi, Milton. There's a bunch of guys we could talk about here. So Sixers guys, what do, you, what do you have to say? All right, all right. Let me let me jump on this first. All right, Dwight Howard, Danny Green, pleasant surprises, absolute pleasant surprises. I expected nothing from them. I think they're both having admirable seasons and they're contributing to team wins and their improvements to the lineup where we were missing them last year. Tobias and Seth Curry, I think, are the two people that I've enjoyed to watch the most this year. And I was disappointed with earlier in their careers, not necessarily in Philly, but just disappointed in general. And I feel like they've done a lot better um, in Philly, maybe with Doc Rivers, but uh, it's nice to see. And then uh, two players that I'm upset with this year are Matisse Thibel and Mike Scott. And what about you, Oswe? I mean, you captured it perfectly. Tobias Harris was so underwhelming last year, especially with that fat contract he was given. And all of a sudden this year, he's also averaging near 40, 50, 90. And in the game against the Jazz, he was our closer. As far as Danny Green and Dwight Howard are concerned, I'm with you. I thought all they'd bring is a veteran presence, but they actually have been a lot more than that. Seth Curry is an absolute amazing addition. And I just want to say, in Maury, we trust. 
<laughs> as, as long as you didn't get us James Harden, that's all I care about. And he didn't. So. <laughs> in Maury, we trust. Let's not forget the architect of the process, Sam Hinkie. His mentor was Daryl Morey. So now we have the real guy running the shots. So I'm so glad. Gotcha. Who do you think could improve this year, Oswey? Who are you upset with? I think Matisse, from a defensive end, has been great. But I, I'm, I'm not seeing him shooting as well as I'd like. Right now, he's a D option. And we need him to develop the three to really be a good piece for us, either as a trade piece or as a real rotation piece moving forward in the playoffs. I thought Korkmaz has been either great or terrible. Mike Scott, I, I, I find it funny that you mentioned Mike Scott because I feel like he's somebody that I, I'm surprised anyone was even talking about because I just thought he's just a roster spot, maybe some filler salary in a trade or something like that. I felt like last year he had games when it was him and Josh Richardson on the floor when they would come off the bench and they'd show a lot of poise and kind of control and run the offense. And now it just seems like when the few times he's out there, he just kind of run, runs around like an old man who, you know, doesn't know where he is. So, Well, that's because he basically is an old man who doesn't <laughs> know where he is. <laughs> but, you know, he was someone that I was looking for with Josh Richardson gone to really take over that second unit. And uh, he he didn't. Tyrese Maxey, though, is somebody who I'm very excited about. He doesn't get that many minutes. But in the minutes I've seen, he plays really hard. He has a, pre- a very pretty floater. And he, unlike Ben, he's not afraid to shoot. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just give one more note on this uh, surrounding cast. Terrence 2K Ferguson. Get my man some minutes just so we can see some dunks, please. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> That boy can fly. He can. I I remember watching his high school tapes years ago, and I was like, wow, it's going to be great to see him, you know, fly high in the NBA. And we really only got a few highlights on OKC, and I haven't seen much since. So for you non-Sixers fans, is that, do you have any notes on the supporting cast that you'd like to critique us on? I only really have notes on Danny Green and Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, I think was a steal because we would have loved to have kept him on a minimum contract. His presence on the bench cannot be understated. He brings the hype that you don't have with no crowds in the stands. And he just brings a ton of energy to the team. And I think he also brings that veteran championship presence. And I think he's a big reason why we see that maturity in Joel Embiid. And Danny Green... I, I still don't understand how how the heck did Maury trade the ridiculously horrible Al Horford contract and get Danny Green? <laughs> like, is he some kind of wizard? Like, wizard. How, how the fuck <laughs> do you do that? In Maury, we trust. Like, Danny Green, he shouldn't be uh, underestimated. He can heat up. I know he hasn't for quite some time. He missed a big three in the finals last year, but he's an extremely high three-point shooter for his career. And I think he unlocks some really good lineups for the Sixers to get that spacing that uh, Embiid really needs. You know, Mus, it's funny because before the season, I remember you and I were chatting and you said that the Dwight Howard acquisition could be one of the single best things for Embiid because Dwight Howard is the perfect example of a guy with all this promise, but because they never really had that level of focus 
and really honed in their talents properly over a long stretch of time. You know, that's why Dwight became, you know, bounced around the league. And obviously the nature of the league changing, how the utility of a big man with Dwight Howard's skills, but it can't be understated enough how much of the path that Embiid was going down was similar to Dwight's. It's funny you mentioned a player like Dwight in that path, Oswe, because now with Roy Hibbert as a development coach for the Sixers, oh, yeah. you also oh, yeah. see the kind of parallel. You had the big guy in the star. You know, he was a star. He did X, Y, Z, but he never really improved. And then you have the big, powerful defensive guy who couldn't adjust his game. It was, you know, it's funny that he has both of those angel and devil on one shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's a godsend that you guys got Howard. It might not show on the court, but off the court, he seems like he's really a, a glue guy. And we, we sorely miss him on the Lakers. I think the thing that Danny Green and Dwight gave you that is extremely underrated when it comes to playoff basketball is they don't make defensive mistakes. So like if you look at Danny Green, right? He's not going to stick out to you like the way that, say, someone like Ben Simmons will, where he's just going to like rip the ball from somebody or make the dramatic play. What he's going to do, he's going to be in the right place at the right time. He's going to do little things like when someone's cutting to the rim off ball, he'll tag the roller and he'll get back to his guy. And he's surprisingly long for a, a two guard. And, and he's actually pretty strong as well. And, and Dwight Howard is you know, a multiple-time defensive player of the year for a reason. He's just in the right spot all the time. Even though his athleticism has declined, he's been able to adjust by just being able to take the right angles on drives. And again, he's as strong as an ox. He's not going to make too many false steps the way you say that like bad defensive bigs make. As for the rest of the supporting cast, I think Seth Curry is in many ways the bellwether of your team and a little bit too much right now. I feel like when he's on, the team seems unbeatable. And when he's either out of the lineup due to injury or if he's off, yep. the Sixers seem very beatable to me. And, and that, to me, is a sign that the Sixers probably need a little bit more reliable shooting outside of just Seth. Um, and, and, of course, Danny Green and other people bring that to some degree. But he's the only real knockdown guy I have outside of Tobias having a fantastic season and Joel, weirdly, who's become a pretty legitimate three-point shooter. I, I think that everybody else on the roster, to me, is questionable in terms of their playoff impact. I don't know if you can roll out Matisse Seibel if he's coming out at the same time that Ben Simmons is playing, for instance. Can you have two guys who are not credible shooters out there at the same time? I don't think so against a good defense. You know, Maxi is unproven. Shake Milton, they kind of need the spark that he gives, but they again, he's another guy they need a little bit too much. I, I think there's room to improve that position uh, from Shake Milton. Furkan Karkmaz, I mean, I've heard about this guy endlessly from my brother ever since they drafted him and he was stashed overseas. The great Furkan Karkmaz. And I know just the other day he had a great game, but he, you know, he had a huge contribution. So it's a bad time to pile on Furkan Korkmaz. But I swear, if I could never hear about this guy again, it'd be great. Okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> to, to be fair, the only thing I said back then was that he won the dunk contest in the Turkish League. That's it. The guy I was talking about that was overseas was Dario Saric. No, please. I, I, I knew about Dario Saric for a long time. Kirk Korkmaz is this, this loser that you couldn't stop talking about over and over again. I don't recall, but sure. Let, let's go with it. I'm just really disappointed that the Lakers weren't able to keep Dwight. Uh, they could have really used him off the bench. Definitely now um, with Mark Gasol missing a few games in the COVID protocol. But 
I thought Danny Green was legitimately washed by the playoffs last year. So I'm a little surprised at the uptick for him. And I thought during, uh, at least going into the season, I thought Wes Matthews, at a fraction of the price, was a great pickup. Now he can't buy a shot. So <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> it's something going on in L.A. I don't know what it is. Every guy who goes to the Lakers can no longer shoot for some reason, even though they're wide open, they're like more open than they've ever been in their life. You know, they just can't make a shot. I have no clue what it is. All right, guys. So I want to talk about Glenn Rivers, as Oswee is declaring he should be called. But before we get to that, I do have a question for our two Sixers guys on, on the pod today. When you think back to Brett Brown, what sticks out to you about his tenure? Because I, I'll tell you this. I used to find it actual comedy turning on a Sixers game in the last five minutes and just watching their complete lack of execution down the stretch. And, you know, I, I know Oswee will say that Brett Brown had a huge role in developing the Sixers, but man, did he also hold you guys back? What sticks out the most to me is his effort. Brett Brown always put a lot of effort into everything. He put a lot of effort into trying to grow these 19, 18-year-old kids when they were drafted into you know incredible young men. He took a lot of effort in trying to get the Sixers involved with you know local coaches in the area, and he took a lot of time getting his staff and players involved with the city of Philadelphia. So there's a lot of a lot of effort on and off the court that sticks out to me from him. For me, I think watching the Sixers collapse at the end of games like that has built a thick skin for me or you know, I'm 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 now accustomed to that kind of thing. So if it happens, I'm ready for it, thanks to Brett. But like Garrett said, and like AC alluded to, I seriously credit Brett Brown for Shifting the culture of the team from a team that was all tanking, was the, tied for the losingest team ever, arguably the losingest team ever, to a team with a lot of cool cultural things, like ringing the bell for the, you know, whoever the MVP of the game was would ring a, a mini Liberty Bell. So having some type of pride and team bonding, even though the locker room had a revolving door around it. I don't think many coaches... Even the greats had that kind of culture turnaround. So I'll always say that I love the man, and I I really hope that one day the Sixers fans retire Brett Brown in the Xfinity Live Center. However, I am also extremely glad that we no longer have him as our coach because I want to win. Well, what has Doc done differently this year that you guys have seen from what Brett Brown did even as recently as last season? To be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he's done anything that's been crazy different. He hasn't come in with any offensive schemes that have blown me out of the water. I couldn't tell you what the tangible difference is other than that the team is playing better and they seem more focused and that's it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there, Garrett. I, I'm not – I can't tell you. I'm sure, you know, th those who who really watch the X's and O's closely could probably tell you you know, what the difference is between the two. But I don't think it's a coincidence that guys like Tobias and Embiid are playing at another level this year than previous years. And it's been proven in the past that, you know, Glenn has been able to get the best out of Tobias Harris. So I'm not sure, but I will say, though, I am concerned about Glenn Rivers 
playoff history because he is known for blowing leads. So hopefully that doesn't happen to us. But, you know, we'll see. I think he's actually officially the most prolific blower of series leads in NBA history. So it is something to be concerned about just a little bit. Yep. Multiple 3-1 leads. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But he is a championship winning coach. That's a little overrated, though. I I have to say. Look, Glenn's our coach. I respect him for it. I respect the man he is, the, the things he stands up for. But I do have to say he is a tad bit overrated. I do feel like he won't make a mistake like uh, Brett did, you know, back when uh, Jimmy Butler was still on the team, calling him James Butler instead of Jimmy. <laughs> James. <laughs> that's not Jimmy, that's James. That's the biggest thing that sticks out to me from uh, Brett Brown's tenure. And I don't think that Doc will make any stupid mistakes like that. He's a very solid coach. You get what you get with him, but he's not going to lose you a game. For the record, Former Sixer Jimmy Butler's legal name is actually Jimmy and not James. So Brett Brown was just being a complete dumbass there. All right, guys. So let's say that you are Daryl Morey and it's now the trade deadline's coming up in, in a week. And then we have the buyout market potentially after that. What would you guys do to improve this roster? Trade Ben Simmons. <laughs> I don't know if trading him at the trade deadline would help. I think trading him in the offseason was the move. I have five players on my list who I think if they make their way to the Sixers, then they're a championship-level team, or at least closer to beating the Nets in the East. All right, hit me. You said two of them, Kyle Lowry and Mr. Beal on the Wizards. Next, Wait, so before you go on, mm-hmm. let's talk about those two guys, sure. right? So Kyle Lowry is not only from Philadelphia originally, according to certain reports, he actually prefers to be on the Sixers, although there's also more recent reports maybe trying to drive his price up saying that the Raptors will intend to re-sign him. So if you are going to get Kyle Lowry, what would you give up to get him? Not much. I mean, he is 34 years old, I think. So you're you're not going to get a, a point guard in his prime. I'd be willing to give up a first-round pick and, you know, maybe I'd probably lean towards you know their first pick off the bench guys but that's about it well let's not forget he does have a massive salary so we need to match that so we'd have to give a treasure trove of bottom feeders but i'm with you there garrett if we have kyle lowry i I like our chances the next guy was bradley beal obviously you get decent defense you get you know elite shooting someone who can space the floor for them someone who's going to be the Shot at the end of the game, ball in his hands kind of player that we need. Next, which is an absolute leap of faith, is Jalen Brown, obviously. <laughs> if they had a player right, like Jalen Brown, they'd be they'd win a championship, huh. which is not going to happen. Well, that's not happening. No, the Celtics that's would never happening. trade to the Sixers, let alone their best player. And then I have Chris Paul, similar to the uh, Kyle Lowry situation. Someone who's familiar with Doc Rivers, I think, could fit in well. And then the last player, which I think is the most interesting to me, is Zach Levine. If you traded Ooh. Ben Simmons for Zach Levine right now, I think the Sixers are a better team. I, I've seen that. You really think that? Yep. There are rumblings of that are there? being... I haven't heard. There has been some speculation that the Sixers would target yeah. Zach Levine. He makes less money. He shoots threes. He jumps higher. He's faster. He passes the ball. I don't know. Doesn't, it seems like a win-win to me. 
<laughs> if everything you're saying is true, why would the Bulls do that trade then? Because the Bulls are a terribly mismanaged organization <laughs> and have no idea what they're doing. True. <laughs> they're trying to get a draft pick and they're 10th or 9th in the East right now. They're trying to build their future on Lori Markkinen and it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> so out of those five names you mentioned, yep. Jalen Brown's not happening. No, no. Bradley Beal... I feel like it's a move that should happen, but by all accounts, the Wizards are trying to keep him delusionally until at least the offseason, which makes no sense to me because he only has one more season under contract and he frankly could just demand to be traded in the middle of next season and they would lose all leverage. And then you have, so you mentioned Chris Paul, who I think would make a lot of sense on, on a team like this and not many other teams would actually want to even trade for someone like Chris Paul. But the thing is Phoenix right now is second in the West yep. and I don't see them yep. moving off of him unless you're getting something really good that they like. So basically the only realistic guy that we're talking about here, who's rumored to actually be going potentially the Sixers and whose team has every incentive to trade him is Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry, as you guys said, is turning 35 pretty soon. And I don't really see what the point of him staying in Toronto is aside from him just basically doing out of loyalty and just being a long tenured guy there. So if he wants to compete, the Sixers would be perfect for him. I think he would add so much to that roster. We actually had a, a previous pod where our resident Raptors fan, Anu and Oswich actually made a fake trade up where they, they uh, tried to negotiate a trade to make this actually happen. And <laughs> The thing we realized in doing that exercise was his $30 million is is, is difficult to cobble together salaries yeah. to match. So you'd be giving up some level of, I guess you could say all your scrubs in your roster, but you, you have to give up some more than one player to get it done for sure. Yeah. And, and almost certainly you have to give up Danny Green as well. Yeah, that's yeah. what I keep thinking. I keep thinking if we get rid of Danny Green, but get Kyle Lowry, does that put us in a better spot? And I haven't come to a, I haven't come to a, Concrete answer, yeah. I think so. Just imagine a lineup of Lowry, Seth Curry, Ben, Tobias, and Joel. Even if the backcourt is a little bit on the smaller end, four of those five guys are extraordinarily good defenders. I should say at least three of them are. Two of them are defensive player of the year candidates. Kyle Lowry can definitely defend the best of them. Tobias is solid. But it's only really Seth Curry on that end. On the other end, everyone but Ben Simmons is a credible shooter, and and Lowry would give you so much more creativity at the point of attack. Yeah, it's fair. I just keep thinking that if you take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hand and you have Joel Embiid on the floor and you have Kyle Lowry holding the ball and you have Tobias Harris who needs shots and you have Seth Curry shooting threes, then Ben Simmons is just out there averaging, you know, eight or nine points on garbage rebounds and defending people, which maybe that's what they need if they have Kyle Lowry, but that's not, I don't, I don't know if that's winning a championship. Well, he, here's, here's what I think with that lineup, Ben Simmons will average about 20 picks, you know, off ball screens, which you <laughs> cannot understate how important they are. Right. Yeah, if, if there's a fast break, he'll push the pace on that. But most importantly, on the defensive end, he will shut down, or as much as anyone can, whoever it is that they have. And let's not forget, Kyle Lowry himself is not a bad defender. So it would help us against a Brooklyn or a a Western Conference team with a great point guard. But, you know, Kyle Lowry can be useful from a defensive standpoint, too. 
Well, before we get to the West, in fact, I don't even think you guys should even be thinking about the West nope. right now because you have a <laughs> pretty brutal gauntlet in the East. So why don't we talk about each of those teams in turn and what do you guys think in terms of how the matchups would go if the team is as it appears to be right now? In other words, if there is no Kyle Lowry or Bradley Beal coming in to save the day and you have the current squad, how would they fare against, why don't we start with the Celtics in a playoff series? I think that's the most entertaining playoffs matchup you would get outside of a Nets Lakers final in the NBA. I, I think that would be electric. You have a young Celtics team with a lot of promise and a lot of intensity, and you have a Sixers team who's um, you know back on top of the mountain. I think it, it would get chippy and it would be a lot of fun. I just have PTSD from all the Celtics series where they just Trash. embarrass us. Yes. <laughs> It's also one of the classic all-time historical rivalries. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the days of Dr. J facing off against Larry Bird, Andrew Tony hitting big shots against the Celtics. It's, it's got a lot of legacy behind it. For sure, for sure. That being said, it would be so nice if we beat them just to just to watch Boston fans cry Worm. about <laughs> this or that. You know, they had the audacity to say their process worked. And ours didn't. Well, still not seeing theirs working. So if we if we beat them in a series, oh man, oh man, I'll, I'll, I'll that would be a dream come true. I, I, when I think about that series, the obvious massive advantage there is Joel Embiid against anybody they have on that roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daniel Tice and oh. the corpse of Tristan Thompson are not going to do anything to stop Joel Embiid. But then we saw just as recently as last season that Joel Embiid alone isn't going to be enough to defeat the Celtics. Now, granted, this is a much more in-shape, much more polished version of Joel Embiid. But I think it's, again, going to come down to, you know, will Tobias Harris be able to match the production of, say, a Jalen Brown? What will Ben Simmons bring, who I thought was actually very clearly missing from the Sixers last year? We, we, had, we had a lot of hatred piled upon this poor guy in this pod, but I, last year I thought he was really missing in that playoff series. So the question is going to be, you know, what the production can get outside of Joel Embiid in a series against the Celtics. Believe it or not, I think Ben would be the key player in that series. Then it's singularly because of his defense. Because I genuinely think that if he's on Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum's going to struggle on him. Now, that's not to say Jason Tatum's not incredibly talented, which he is, but Ben Simmons' defense is, my God, it's godly. Yeah, and I'm less worried about Ben Simmons' offense against another a team like Boston that actually struggles on the offensive end themselves, right? So they're a team that, you know, especially unless they're getting 100% Kemba Walker, which is no guarantee, they also struggle with, with shot creation. So it, it's a team that you could potentially win a grinded-out series against, unlike, say, some of the high-powered offensive teams in the NBA. But Kemba is too much of a liability. I don't think adding Kemba would really help. If anything, he would... He would hurt their team. I love how the Sixers match up with the Celtics in particular. I, I think if they were to get further against the Nets, like you were saying earlier, the problem then becomes your second best player is no offensive threat. So then you're pretty much fucked. But against the Celtics, at least this iteration this year, I think they'll I think they'll be fine. Um I, I think Simmons, with his defensive versatility, whether he's switching on to Tatum or Jalen Brown, at any given time, he'll give their best two perimeter players like loads of issues. So 
Yeah, I, I definitely like the Sixers in that matchup. I further on, I don't like it at all. Yeah, the Sixers match up really well with the Celtics. Embiid will just feast. There's nobody on the team that's going to be able to stop him. And it's just a matter of can the likes of Tobias and Seth hit their shots and do what they need to to actually close out the games. All right, then, guys, what about the Miami Heat, a team that kind of surprisingly won the Eastern Conference last year and started off really slowly this season, in part due to COVID absences, injuries, and probably some wear and tear from that deep playoff run they had last season. And they've kind of really picked it up recently, especially with Jimmy Butler back. They have somehow climbed now to fourth in the East, which means if the playoffs started today, they would be your second-round opponent. How do you guys think about a Heat matchup? I think a Heat matchup would be a little bit similar to the Celtics matchup. Again, I don't really see anybody matching Embiid, but with Jimmy Butler on the other end, I don't know. They have a great coach, and they have a great player with a good supporting cast, and that can go far, as as you saw last year. So uh, it would be interesting. I don't know who necessarily would have a better advantage over the other. I think that, kind of like what you said, the Heat don't really have an answer for Embiid. Ben can guard Butler as much as possible. And then if Bam is trying to do anything, Joel Embiid is right there. So Bam's going to struggle against Joel. Bam is a very talented player, but he's not going to be able to score on Joel Embiid, who is arguably another contender for Defensive Player of the Year in his own right. Yeah, I don't know, though. If you look at Bam's matchups on a lot of centers who are even, you know, larger than him and you would think would dominate him on the offensive end, his defensive numbers are still pretty good. And I don't know. He's just – he's a different player. I, I think they'd have trouble when they start switching with him off of Embiid. Uh, when the ball's moving around, but uh, I don't know. It'd be an interesting matchup. I don't have uh, a specific thought about who would win. I think it's one of those matchups where the limitations of the Sixers offensively would be somewhat tested because the Heat are an elite defensive team when everything's right. So since Jimmy Butler's been back, they've actually been the second most efficient defense in the entire NBA. And one of the ways that shows out is not just when Bam single covering Joel Embiid, but the fact that they have so many versatile wings who can switch onto various guards or forwards. So I think the pressure will be on everybody else on the roster to actually make plays because they're going to, for sure, double team at times, you know, play weird zones. We know that that the Heat are kind of no, well known now for their odd zones that they employ where they have maybe guards sinking low and forwards up high. They'll try to pre-zone and prevent passes from coming into Joel Embiid, which is going to be then on the rest of the Sixers to make enough plays. And here, when you're, especially when you're facing a zone, is where having a guy who can't shoot is going to be really problematic. And you know, so that's where I, I think the Sixers' lack of secondary playmaking outside of Joel Embiid could be a huge problem. I think with the Heat matchup, of course you named like, schematically the issues that the Sixers might have. But the issue I think that would be most glaring that others might not think about is the difference in coaching. Ooh, uh, I like that. Eric Spolstra is one of the better coaches at in-game adjustments and game-to-game adjustments. 
One of the issues with Glenn Rivers is that he's not particularly good when his team gets hit in the mouth, actually adjusting from game to game. So I would love to see schematically the the chess match between Glenn Rivers and Eric Spostra. And I, I'm thinking that the Heat have more of an advantage than people might give it credit for. You know, it strikes me that we've actually seen that matchup in playoffs before, mm-hmm. albeit when Spolstra had much more talent than, well, I don't know about much more talent, but he certainly had the big three while Doc had some of those Celtics teams with KG and Pierce and Allen. And obviously Spolstra won those matchups. Spolstra did have LeBron James at the time, but I do agree Spolstra is an incredible coach. And to be honest with you, Eric, I didn't even I didn't even think about it. That's such a great point. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't think about it, honestly, until AC started talking about like schematically what the Heat do. And and that's that's Spo. So it it definitely will come into play if they play each other. Yes, Bolstra is going to sag off of uh, Ben and double or even triple team Embiid. While they don't necessarily have anybody to really dump Embiid one-on-one, Bam is a capable defender. I, I don't think you guys are giving him enough credit. He will slow him down at the very least. And throwing a second and third body off of Ben Simmons will definitely give Embiid some trouble. And Bolstra is the kind of coach that would make those kind of adjustments. So like one of the big changes in the NBA over the last 20 years, and one of the reasons we don't see big men dominating the way they did in Shaq's time is the advent of zone defense. Because even though not that many teams run zones consistently the way that say Miami does teams can have a second defender shading on a guy that's dominating them in the post right like it used to be that if you had a Jordan at the guard position or you had a Shaq who was just dominant interior they would catch the ball and only once they caught it could you send a second man otherwise it'd be considered a legal defense when they changed that rule in 2004 it actually led to the death of the big men in high leverage situations because after that they could prevent that catch at all unless you had elite shooting around them to prevent that you know it just made it really difficult to consistently feed a big man no matter how good they were so i think this year with joel Embiid will be a real test to see can a big man still dominate in playoffs yeah facts i mean i think he's going to run rough shot in the eastern conference playoffs though he might run rough shot i can imagine a scenario where he gets a crap ton of points and he hits every statistical measure you could possibly think of, but they come up short because, again, they're issues with their second best player. So it is what it is. I, I do want to make one point very clear. I've heard from some people that Joel Embiid is not a playoff player. He, he's he, he's not he's not good enough for the big dance or whatever. The problem that with Joel Embiid has always been that he's never healthy and available in the playoffs but in the playoff games that he is actually healthy and and doesn't have issue he utterly dominated if you think about that that Raptors series with that fateful fourth quarter shot by Kawhi there are some games he was utterly dominating them oh Embiid I you know the the great thing about Embiid is he's just he's one of those guys that He's either going to inspire his fans to just like love him or he's going to do something so annoying that if he fails, people are just going to revel in it as well. So 
And I love it. It's great TV, right? It's good to have a guy like that back in the NBA. That's yep. great. I mean, he goes to the local parks in Philly and beats 10-year-olds playing tennis and gets mad <laughs> right. when they are beating him. So He's one of a kind. And, and the city loves yeah. him. I mean, I've been to my share of Sixers games, and he gets the crowd riled up in a way that, you know, I've rarely seen live where he can just kind of raise his hands up and put put his hand to his ear and, and the crowd just lives lives it up. And that's awesome. I think no one would be happier for him to win a championship than the city of Philadelphia mm-hmm. who have been through him through all the struggles, yeah. through the process, through him giving himself the nickname the process. I mean, it would be awesome to see. Now, one of the teams that could be standing in your way is a team that has quietly won nine of their last 10 games, has quietly had probably the guy who's, you could make an argument over the last couple of months is right up there with Joel Embiid and having the best season of anyone in the Eastern Conference, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. How do you guys think about the Bucks' as a potential matchup? No faith in them. We're going to beat them. Easy money. It's done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Period. Wow. <laughs> um, I think it'd be an interesting matchup. I think you have similar players, uh, meaning that their teams are only as good as their main um, ball handlers limitations are, which they're a little different because obviously Giannis, he's a two-time MVP. He's proven himself in the NBA, but I think Giannis's biggest problem is Giannis thinks he could do more than he actually can. Um, and I, I, I don't know. It'd be an interesting matchup. I have no faith in their coach and I have no faith in Giannis because of their coach. And also <laughs> he's a defensive player of the year who doesn't guard their best player. He's a guy who has like 22% from the field in, in the postseason because he can't shoot a lick. So I don't know. I, I just don't have faith in them. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. But as far as I'm concerned, Giannis re- remains Greek yogurt until <laughs> until proven otherwise. <laughs> in the playoffs, that is. He's Greek yogurt in the playoffs. Oh, no, I agree with everything that you said. I, I don't trust Giannis as far as I could throw him in a – actual playoff series against competitive teams. So, yep, agreed. And and let's not forget, Bud is, is notorious for having great regular season teams and then completely sucking in the playoffs. Yeah, after we after we saw them get destroyed by the Heat last year, no. <laughs> nope. I, I do think that everyone's a little bit unnecessarily down on the Bucks, in my opinion. I, I would think agree, yeah. They have gotten better in ways that may not show up in the standings. But part of that is because Drew Holiday, who they traded away basically all their depth to get, Mm -hmm. has been injured. He's been out of the lineup. When he's been playing, though, they've been really good. And he gives them a dynamic they just didn't have. In my opinion, the Bucs are a team that had only two reliable players to put in the closing five last season. Now they have three, and that's a big difference. And they're also trying things schematically that they didn't try before. They used to just always play this, this drop coverage to a fault. Now they're actually trying switching more, and it's actually cost them some games where they're not doing it properly, but at least they're trying some things. They're also using Middleton much more as uh, as the closer, and they're using Giannis more as a screen setter down the stretch, which I think is a far better use of his talents because as a role man, he's basically unstoppable. I do think, though, that what the Sixers can do to limit them from an X's and O's standpoint is they're one of the teams I think can most effectively build a wall against the Bucks. I can totally see Ben Simmons being maybe to say the primary matchup on 
well, you could put him on several people, but let's just say he's on on Giannis, and then just getting past Ben won't be easy, but I can see the wall being behind them, led by Joel Embiid, one of the best rim protectors in the entire league. So it's a team that's going to demand a lot from Giannis and the Bucks to do something outside their comfort zone, and previous experience from their previous failures in the playoffs against Toronto and Miami shows that they're not a team that can adapt. So I would feel decent about that matchup if I was the Sixers. Easy money, sign, sale, deliver. You heard it from us three dramas right here. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy playing that clip back to you when you guys choke against them. Yeah, I was like, I don't like, uh, I don't like to put the cart before the horse. Let's get to the games. But see, that's why this, that's why we watch sports, right? Like sometimes you gotta put your foot in your mouth. It's all good. No, that's that's fair. Uh, true story. So then, let's talk about the last team that all of us are probably slightly concerned might be the overwhelming favorite. I don't know if I want to go that far, but certainly probably the betting favorite right now. And that's the Brooklyn Nets who have been utterly dominant. They've won, at the time of this recording, they've won 13 of their last 14 games, all of which have not had Kevin Durant. What do you guys think? They are a rolling ball of chainsaws and they will not be stopped. And it's a shame because we had a good roster this year, but uh, I don't think we make it through them. Now, do you feel that, Garrett, with no moves? Or would you feel better if you had, say, a Kyle Lowry? Someone you could realistically get like that? Uh, I would feel better, but you just you, you there's no scenario where the Sixers make a fair trade that the NBA wouldn't veto. <laughs> that the Sixers get a roster together to match up with the Nets that I could see them winning in seven games. You know, it's it's... I just don't think it's possible. See, I feel like we do not match up well against the Nets because they they won't be able to defend against us, but there's no chance in hell as currently constructed that we can keep up with the, their offensive no. output. No. I want to say, uh, like, you know, close my eyes, say trust the process and cross my fingers and hope something happens. But as currently constructed, no. If we get a Lowry, then... You know, maybe, but I still think that it's in the Nets' favor. Yeah, I think Lowry brings it to six games. You know, maybe seven, but the Nets still win. You know, I I don't see him being the difference maker in the Sixers winning the series. Now, let me ask you, Garrett: If we get Bradley Beal somehow, how do you feel then? Does it does it change at all? Does it is is seven guaranteed, or is can we win the series in your mind? I I don't know because. Bradley Beal also hasn't played on a team with this much talent before. I don't know how he would fit into the Sixers in half a season. I don't know. It's it's too much of a question for me to say if they can make it a seven. You want to know something? I, I just shat a mighty shit on the Bucks, But I actually, I would like the Bucks to match up against the Nets because I feel like the Bucks might have a chance of beating them just from like matchup standpoint. And then Giannis would just have a complete completely dominate them and from a shooting perspective on paper they can keep up with them so the ideal situation is the bucks somehow eke out a win against the nets and then we shit on the bucks and to add to your point garrett even if we get bradley beal we still don't have enough shooting off the bench and so i guess trusted Mori to find it in the buyout market or something us we dramas does not necessarily feel that great about Sweet facing the nets <laughs> <laughs> so this is a thing. 
Eric, you are a resident Nets hater. <laughs> I'm the Nets hater now? <laughs> Can you please pick up the spirits of these rather depressing Sixers fans who are, are much more down on their number one Eastern Conference team than I thought they would be today? I'm here to pick your spirits up, guys. <laughs> As currently constructed, you can't beat them. But but hear me out, hear me out. As currently constructed, you can't beat them because Simmons could give one of the big three trouble. He can't give all three trouble on the defensive end. Um, and B's going to feast. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm convinced, and I said this earlier, in a hypothetical series against the Nets, he averages 40-plus per game. I'm thoroughly convinced that happens. But, of course, they can't match them scoring. If you can get a guy like Bradley Beal, if you can do it, you have Embiid easily going off, and Bradley Bill is going to give you over 30 as well. There's a possibility that you're in some of those games, and you're still, at some point, if you get a guy like Bradley Bill, still better defensively than the Nets. So the Nets with Bradley Bill and Joel Embiid, he's going to make you look like, think of the best versions of those um, Warriors teams offensively. You're going to look like that. I can see a hypothetical where the Sixers with the guy who can score like Embiid, that you can definitely, in a seven-game series, eke out a win in seven games. Like a 20% chance. (laughs) (laughs) That's your hope. That's your hope. Yeah, one in five. five. I think that's pretty good. That's fair. That's fair. Eric, you're saying we have a 20% chance under the scenario that we get Bradley Beal, which is at like a maybe a half percent at best chance of happening this season. So, yeah. I'm not good at math. What's 20% of half a percent? <laughs> a damn low percent. <laughs> very, very low. Yeah. I'll say this, though. I, I do think that the chance of getting Bradley Beal is probably higher than half percent because if they are willing to trade Bradley Beal. You're one of the few teams that I think will really not only have a good young player to give them in return, but has a reason to sort of shell out their entire future to do this trade. Because the other teams with that kind of young player, they're not going to want to mortgage their entire future to get Bradley Beal. The Sixers are a Bradley Beal away from being legitimate title contenders. So they have a better than say, half percent chance of getting him. I also agree with Eric that if you did get him or or comparable player like that, and that's why I really think that missing on Harden in a way had this double whammy of both preventing you guys from being the title pairs, but also created this beast that now you have to overcome. But you have to remember that if you do have two all-star caliber players, you can go off on them too. And I agree with Eric that in the situation that you have someone like Bradley Beal, you'll still be a significantly better defensive team than they will be, even if you don't have Ben Simmons anymore, just because they're that bad defensively. They are historically bad defensively. They're also historically good offensively. But, you know, it gives you a better chance of keeping pace. I do think, though, that as Garrett and us, we said, as currently constructed, I, I don't. I just don't think there's any way you can keep pace with them. And I think it doesn't even matter how much Joel Embiid is going to score. You're going to have to score in bunches and fast to keep have any chance and here again is where some of the roster limitations of this team, you guys mentioned the lack of bench depth. I mean, they have guys coming off the bench now. We all mocked the Nets' bench depth when they gave up seemingly the farm to get James Harden. They have guys coming out of nowhere, all reigning threes, including you know former Sixers like TLC. 
TLC. You know, they have guys like literally, I mean, Joe Harris starts for them sometimes. And, and obviously he's literally leading the entire NBA in three point percentage. Bruce Brown's playing well. They have just a l- bunch of guys who are just contributing to that team, Landry Shamit, et cetera. So I, I would not feel good about going to shoot out with the team as you currently have it. I think you need to make a trade if it's possible. And I think that that includes leveraging a bunch of future picks and Ben Simmons if that means getting Bradley Beal. AC, I, I want to quote a, a true poet of the game, Zaza Pachulia. <laughs> Nothing easy. Nothing easy. <laughs> well, well, you're not going to Game Seven as things are currently constructed, so you need to make something happen for that to happen. Nothing easy. We're going to Game Seven. Game Seven, baby. Game Seven. <laughs> All right, guys. So, if we had to predict how the rest of the season goes, how far do they go? What moves are actually made? Just give me your final prediction for how this season ends for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they pick up someone in a buyout situation. I don't think they make any big trade moves before the end of the year. Uh, and I think they go to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose them five to the Nets. It'll be a fun year. It's fun to watch right now. <laughs> so here's my prediction. Put it on the record as an Us We Dramas prediction. Trust in Maury. He will find a way to fill out our roster with better shooting. I would not be surprised if he did some type of Godfather deal to get a good piece, but I wouldn't also be surprised if he didn't. And Garrett, mm-hmm. if you'll join me, mm-hmm. we'll be going to at least three games because we're going to the <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals. Potentially a fourth if, who knows, things swing the right way and we're going to the finals. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Oswe Dramas, here for you guys, right there. And the uh, the only reason I say I don't think they will make a move, so I think it's because you have your three main pieces, which the Sixers have, are all under long-term deals. So I, I think that realistically, in Daryl Morey's first year, he's going to say, all right, well, we can try and make some moves in the offseason to see who's available and try and get, rather than break up what they have going now. That's just what I think. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Eric? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> A loss in the Eastern Conference Finals, six games. <laughs> After all that optimism. Hey, I gave them six. I, Garrett gave them five. I gave them five. <laughs> Moss? I'm going to be an optimist and say they get Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons. Ooh. And if that happens, I think they'll make it to the finals. Wow. I think they can they can uh, pull off an upset win against the Nets, even though they'll probably be the second seed, considering how long Embiid is going to be out. But I don't think that'll matter all that much if they can get Bradley Beal. Well, the trade deadline is only a little over a week away, so we'll know pretty soon if Mustardamus is a thing. For the record, Oswidramus is a disciple of Mustardamus. <laughs> so I believe in the gift of foresight of Mustardamus. So. Hopefully he's right. The only thing I remember Mustard Amos being right about was when he predicted before seeing the guy play one game that LeBron was going to be a star. But, you know. And that's a great prediction. How about that? That's the best prediction wow. you could possibly make. That was definitely the hardest prediction ever. <laughs> but, but isn't this like you all got on me, the other podcast, because I said LeBron was a great GM. How hard was it to, to predict LeBron would be a star? No, no he, he, he predicted he would be like the... Goat level oh, guy. Okay, that he okay. Is. Well, that's that's different. 
<laughs> yeah, which I did not. Yeah, I, I, if you guys say anything about me, I'm pretty anti young players. I always, I always gravitate toward the old heads, regardless of whether I like them. Basically, I only tend to like players, really like players, once they become old. So I was like, who's this young guy coming in the league? Come on now. And Bus was very, very insistent. So he does have that on his track record as, as Muster Dom. So we'll see. I hope the Rally Beal thing happens. I hope you're right. My prediction is that you're wrong, unfortunately, and that it won't happen. Not because Daryl Morey won't try, but because for whatever reason, the stupid Wizards organization believes that this guy is going to sign there long term. And maybe he will. Maybe he'll be like a Damian Lillard and they find value in that. I don't. To me, if he's not good enough to bring a team to the playoffs, that even if he is a Damian Lillard type, he's not worth keeping around. I think they'd be better off trading him and, and trying to real rebuild in D.C. As for the Sixers, I think they're... Fate in the playoffs is entirely dependent upon who they're facing in each round. There's a world in which they're the one seed as they are right now. And, and, and Brooklyn and Milwaukee face each other in round two. And if, say, Milwaukee manages to knock off Brooklyn, then they could actually go to the finals. There's another world in which they just get the wrong opponent as early as round two. Like, I, w- I do not feel good about them against even someone like Miami. And, it, and and there's no guarantee they would even be able to beat them in a playoff series. So this could go all, any number of ways. I think the the median outcome is probably an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. And and if it's the Nets, as we all anticipated being, man, it's really hard for me to imagine even going to Game Six. So I'm going to say it'll be Nets in five in the Eastern Conference Finals. Can I give one uh, one closing yeah, shout out? Shout out Marco Fultz, man. We we messed up that poor kid's career, and now he's shining down in Orlando. Good for him. Yeah, he's balling. <laughs> I mean, he's injured right now, right? Yeah, he got injured. He's hurt right now. He's hurt. He got hurt this season, but he's been playing really well. I'm really happy yeah. There for were him. there were some signs there that he was actually finding a second life in his career pre-injury. Yeah, yeah. But then again, the injury part is always the question with him beyond just his skills. The guy can't stay healthy, so breaking the guy's shot didn't help either. So. Yeah. <laughs> fair point fair point alright well I think that wraps up this conversation thank you Garrett for joining us today it's great to chat with a fellow Sixers fan you know it's tough being around these Sixers haters you know <laughs> it's all good thanks for having me guys and of course Mus, thank you so much for joining us it's always a pleasure to have you with us glad to be around and thank you all for listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Make sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hit us up, shoot us an email at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com. We'll see you in the next one. Take care, guys.